and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Reagan Clare, the founder of Homesick Magazine. As you'll hear, Reagan works as an archivist and in her hours spent trawling through libraries and museums and private archives as part of her real job, she came across these amazing images that she thought deserved to be seen by a wider audience. Homesick is her attempt to find that audience. It's a print magazine showcasing behind-the-scenes archival content that cannot, at least for the most part, be found on the internet. The first two issues of Homesick were printed on newsprint and distributed for free across London, but the third issue will be coming out next week, and it's taken a massive step forward into being a bigger, more prestigious title that is now available to buy in shops. Um, We're going to have some copies for sale in the Stack Shop, um, and I'm also really excited because we're hosting a launch party for the new issue with Reagan um, and Homesick at the Ace Hotel in Shoreditch on Thursday the 7th of February. So um, if you're in London and it's not the 7th of February yet, uh, you can get yourself a free ticket to come along to that. Um, you just need to add your name to the guest list. So um, go and check the Stack blog for the Homesick blog post. Uh, follow the link that's in there to RSVP and we'll see you for a beer on Thursday night. But before all of that, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Reagan Clare from Homesick Magazine. Hey, Reagan, thank you very much for coming over to Somerset House. Yes, thank you for having me. So you are the founder of Homesick. Mm-hmm. Maybe start by telling us a little bit about what is this Homesick magazine? So Homesick is a uh, printed archival magazine. Um, it stemmed because I was working as, as an archivist an image researcher, but I was really obsessed with magazines. Um, I was working at Magazine Archive, I think, at the time. Um, and it just occurred to me that there wasn't a magazine out there that was dealing strictly with archival content. Um, there are some, obviously, a lot of the leading fashion ones do delve into the um, sort of old stories, but I thought it would be really interesting to do a magazine that featured people that were perhaps lesser known um, not in the spotlight as such, but very key figures within pop culture. Um, so that's how it kind of came about, and it's in its third issue now. Uh, so it's worth saying, this isn't like archival in terms of, I don't know, like architecture or something. You're, you're interested in people in fashion and music and art and cinema. For sure, yeah. I think that's probably because of my own interests. I think I'm, <laughs> I'm pop culture-based. Um, I've always worked at pop culture uh, like establishments and archives, and my main interests are fashion, film, um, music and art. And I think, you know, I buy those magazines myself. I buy a lot of fashion magazines, but I go to the cinema, and I'm just like a sponge for all, all of that kind of content. So... Yeah, I gravitate towards those people. Yeah. So, so give us some hard examples then. So who are some of the people you've had in the mag and why should we care about them? Yes, let me give you some examples. So I'm referring to my Instagram. This is um, issue one. Uh, we had uh, Tanel, I'm not going to pronounce his name right, Tanel Bedrosians, who um, was Jean-Paul Gaultier's muse. So people will recognise him. He's the guy in uh, the Madonna corset smoking a cigarette. It's like a Paolo Reversi image that's really uh, famous. 
so I kind of always thought he was an incredibly good-looking man, <laughs> and he had obviously worked with um, Gautier so, for so many years. So I thought there must be like a you know a bigger story there. And it turns out you know they're really good friends. He does a million things within the company. So we interviewed him about that relationship, and then he also submitted some amazing catwalk imagery that wasn't online because it was before the internet. So that kind of is a good example of what sort of stories and content we're after it's kind of behind the scenes but people who you know have amazing stories to tell and um can offer some really interesting visuals Uh, because you always have the well maybe not always but you when i think of homesick i think of the interviews as much as the images because they're they're (laughs) (laughs) because then you get the context of these images do you have a, a particular like era or time that is most interesting for you is this based on things that you grew up with I think I think it must be I think in a in a kind of fanatical way I think I the people top of my list are probably things that are nostalgic to me um or I've got reference on so yeah I think it's probably quite a personal resource but um, no, I like that the magazine is not era-specific. I like with each one, it, I try to cover, um, you know, a range. It mostly is like 60s, 70s kind of era to like 90s. I don't know. We haven't done anything that new, but we have had a few newbies. Um, but yeah, it's non-era-specific. I mean, I I seem to, with the music stuff, get gravi- gravitate towards like post-punk and punk, and I need to sort of like do something different for the next issue I really want to do like a big pop star or something so it's it's in it's on my radar that like I want it to be really eclectic and I wouldn't like it to ever feel like it was fitting too specific in any in any way and that feels like it has some relationship with this idea of stuff you won't find on the internet as well like the the it's that sense of print as a way of discovering something that is not being like fed to you where where, where did the impulse come from to to want to publish images that you can't necessarily find online yeah so that was um from my own kind of working because I was working as an archivist um and it was in archives where I was like finding stuff that wasn't online um and I think growing up, I grew up with the internet. So, you know, like I had a Mac and was just like obsessed with it, like probably most people my age. And it's just limitless. You can find everything. So it kind of feels like you can find everything on, on the internet, but it's just not true. You know, like there's so many amazing resources in like museums and libraries and in archives in London and elsewhere that it just felt like a bit of a black hole that needed exposing. Um, so I was just, yeah, finding things as I was working and thought, God, this would be amazing if we could print this because it kind of felt more like a journal or like you were kind of skipping the hard bit and giving people quite interesting content, but they didn't have to go to the archive to find it. So um, I felt like if I was interested in that and people I was speaking to were interested, other people probably would be. So to what extent are the images that you're working with not available online just because no one ever put them there or not available online because maybe with the rights, somebody's actually stopping them from being uploaded? Um, It's a range. I'd say that a lot of the time it's because the internet wasn't around, or um, 
it wasn't common to like as soon as a fashion spread was out like scan it and put it on the internet that just wasn't the done thing I, d I don't think that was or catwalk images and things like that that's a real emphasis now like a fashion story if it's in like another magazine will be high res on the internet with like the next day after it's out so I think that's all just changed massively so with that sort of stuff that, that's reason but then also it will be that people's got personal records so that's really interesting it's mainly like they never see the light of day so they're um be very behind the scenes and then there will be some stuff which is copyright for sure Pro more like with film and things like that like copyright's so tight on those things like in issue um three we have the illustrator brian sanders and he in the i want to say 60s early 70s early 70s um was working behind the scenes of Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey and he illustrated all behind the scenes and it's amazing and for example those works um, were under copyright of Paramount I believe <laughs> I'm getting names wrong but you know like a big organization and they didn't see the light of day for ages but then obviously he's allowed to use them now so there is issues like that um, but they're really interesting issues to come across and you know different with each person I think. And important to say that, so you have the caveat on there, uh, that these images are mainly not available on the internet. You, like, you would never go to the barricade and say, <laughs> not a single image in here is on the internet. Yeah, I'm getting a bit worried because that is, that is our focus, totally. That's when I approach everybody, it's like we really are trying to find content that isn't on the internet. We're mostly interested in your personal collection or things that haven't been overexposed um, obviously with it it's a kind of balancing act with each feature because obviously they also want to they're working it's very collaborative the magazine it's very like personal and sometimes they do want to feature something that's maybe a bit more their favorite piece or um, is more recent so it's it's working with them and figuring out what they're offering to give and um, and also to try and make it interesting for the reader. We don't want totally obscure everything. There has to be some kind of, you know, like, yeah. You, you need someone to put on the cover, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah, it needs to have a range. Um, the images have to just look nice together. And um, yeah, so at the moment it's a mix, but certainly it's, it's unique selling point is that at least, you know, a half of it is images that are not on the internet and are quite behind the scenes content. So you just mentioned issue three. So that's the one that we've got coming out at the moment. Mm -hmm. And there's some big changes for issue three. So um, maybe talk us through what you've done for this one. Yes. So issues one and two were uh, free. So they were on newspaper, newsprint. Um, they were quite small, like A5 size. Um, and they distributed across London mostly. Um, they were done through Newspaper Club. And it was a very sort of like ad hoc... Um, Almost like it felt like a zine, but it was like a very big and well <laughs> and quite thought out curated zine. Um, but yeah, so it, it had to shift. I think that was always the plan. Um, you can't, I couldn't do, I'm not in a position to do a free magazine forever, um, but I'm glad I did it to start out. Um, but it was always the aim to, to then start charging. But obviously to start charging, um, myself as a buyer of magazines, I'd want that magazine to really shift. So we shifted the format. It's being printed by different printers, Park, Park Communications. Um, it's much bigger. It's like, bigger than A4 now you know it's like it's a slightly revised um, layout and 
it's got some more archival features so we have got the artist features as before kind of the they're like eight pages or ten pages or something um but we've also got some real archival pieces so we're interviewing cur- uh, curators and um going into archives and photographing things so it's now a bit of a mix and um, but hopefully it's got enough of the old stuff that people liked and it's just reinventing it into a slightly uh, revised format that's great. So you, so you're hopefully going to be reaching out to a whole new audience with this as well. So the, because I guess, in the old way of doing things, when you've got a free magazine, your distribution is, I take it to the places that mm-hmm. I like, it's sort of like shops, bars, cafes, mm-hmm. and you leave them there. Mm-hmm. Whereas now you're selling the magazine, so you've got to, <laughs> you've got to take it to places where people are going to buy it. Yes, totally. But it's it's nice because I think we we got a enough of a following and a little bit of hype from the free freebies i mean um jeremy leslie of mag culture was a real supporter which was lovely and obviously mag culture's one of the leading you know most amazing uh, magazine shops in london so um that was amazing to have him as an advocate and um i think probably from sort of those relationships and a few others it's i already had the comments to go to stockist and i kind of knew what the deal was so um it's really nice this time around. I like speaking to stockists and organising that, and it's just really exciting to figure out where you're going to sell it. So, yeah, I like all that. So where will people be able to get hold of this one? So at the moment, stockists include Mag Culture, Stacked, yourself for stocking it, thank you, and um, Magalaria in Bath. I believe the Tate are going to take it. We're speaking to Somerset House here. Um, so a real range of places, mostly London, some Berlin, maybe Amsterdam. So it's at the moment, those are confirmed. It should leak out everywhere else. But then we also have quite a few online. So we're going to push some online sales. Uh, and who is the audience for this? The, so, I mean, I, I imagine that if somebody is like you and so you're working in this like archival industry and you're, I mean, that's like, that's catnip. Like, the, you want to yeah. see that, but presumably you're aiming for a wider sort of reader. So who, who do you think is going to want to pick this up? For sure. I think the archival market is niche. <laughs> and that's, that's um, although I know that, yeah, catnip for those guys, um, it's got to appeal to more. And that's a real, I'm really aware of that, which is why the focus of the magazine is more pop culture. It's an archival magazine, but it's got to feel like sexy and exciting. So it does like fun fashion and cinema things. And I, I would like to think it was a resource for anybody doing creative projects. I think it's like you know, students who are needing reference or um, just anybody looking for creative stimulus, I think. I'd like it to be regarded as a source of inspiration and a journal of sorts. Um, So I hope it appeals to a lot of people. And you've just taken a massive step by taking this thing to a paid magazine. So so, And and again, away from newsprints and towards something that you're going to sell on the shelves. Like, what do you see as the future for Homesick? Um... I've thought about a few scenarios. I really love it being a magazine solely at the moment. Um, but I think, I mean, I'm a big fan of sites like Nowness, or like the video channel Nowness. Um, and yeah, the sort of biopic, you know, things like I love going to m- museums and things like that. And I feel like with Homesick, because of the uh, the concept of it, there is ammo for like a video channel or an online platform or for it to be able to curate special projects whether that be a book or an exhibition or something like that so I certainly 
yeah, I like the idea of doing all of that, but we'll just see. It's it's kind of a small magazine at the moment. And interesting as well. So you, you work in film and video in your real actual job. Yes. What was it that took you to print for this rather than doing it in a, another format? I think, um, I mean, mostly my experience lies with um, image research and I do treatments and things like that. And I'm kind of slowly going into vid- the video world a bit more. Um, but I think that's kind of the way that a lot of stuff's going. Like, I love print. I think we always need magazines. We always need a printed copy to hold in our hands. Um, but I just think the video platform as well is so exci- so exciting. But I do think you need... A, quite a big budget for that and I think the most successful places probably have a bit of a platform beforehand rather than just suddenly launching an online you know and and, in, and the way you started with the magazine so you start with newspaper club you can print like any number that you want with that so it can yeah. be a real sort of small steps test and you can see how this is you've used it as a a, a stepping stone really a way towards something else yeah I think so. That's it's always been the plan to kind of try and like creep up the ladder a bit and try and make things bigger and better. Um, so I'm going to see how issue three goes down. I'm no doubt doing issue four and how people enjoy that and um, just see how the readership grows and how that you know how that develops. But yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing. It. So I've not seen issue three yet. <laughs> Uh, your mistake you're going to bring them today <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to seeing issue 3 and really good luck with issue 4 and onwards cool thank you very much okay that's all for this week thanks again to Reagan for coming over and speaking about the making of Homesick I love it when we see a magazine evolving and it's exciting to hear that in Reagan's mind the print project could just keep on changing and shifting into video and events and other ways of showcasing this great archival material Speaking of events, remember that if you're going to be in London on Thursday the 7th of February, you could join us for a beer at the Homesick launch at the Ace Hotel. Uh, It's a free event, but you need to add your name to the list, so go to the Homesick post on the Stack blog, uh, follow the link on there and reserve your place. Okay, thank you very much for listening to this one, and we'll be back with another episode next week.